All right, so let's get into it. Uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the first 17 verses of Romans 8 uh, this evening. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that we're in your son, Jesus. And because of that, there's no condemnation. And we pray that these truths that we're going to read this evening would touch our hearts, that we would really experience a, a liberation from sin, where we struggle, we understand the valley that Paul found himself in chapter 7, of doing those things that we don't want to do. And God, we desire real change that comes through the power of your Holy Spirit. We give this time over to you. Pray you'd set me aside. Give me grace and strength in teaching your word. And Jesus, we look to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. And so if you remember back to World War II, as we look in the history books, that death camp, that concentration camp, they estimate one million Jews were killed at Auschwitz. And at its peak, they were killing 10,000 people every day. Most people that came into this death camp did not live past 10 minutes. Uh, they were executed right away in the gas chambers. I happened to catch a news clip uh, today, and there's 21 Americans that are still alive that were a part of Auschwitz, and they went back to, to this death camp, and now these men are elderly, and the, these grown old warriors were at this death camp, and they were just weeping over the memories of being back in, in that, that place, and they were just teenagers. They, they were young, young men at the time that they were in that place. And so it's a, it's a deep moment. It's a, it's a dark moment in our world's history, uh, a moment that we wish didn't happen and, and the liberation that, that took place. And tonight, the message is entitled Liberation, and it's liberation from sin and the struggle with sin. If you've been traveling with us through Romans, you know in chapter six, it was the glorious doctrine that we're freed from the power of sin. Not just the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin has been broken in our lives. But then we find chapter 7. And chapter 7 really boggles the minds of a lot of commentators and Bible teachers. Because after Paul gives this glorious truth of chapter 6, that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness, then he gets into this valley in chapter 7. He starts talking about all the things that he desires to do, he doesn't do. The things that he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing them. And who's going to deliver him from this body of death? And Paul shows us, through transparency, his own personal struggle with sin. And I'm so glad that he did, because as Christians and as God's children, we know that we're freed from the power of sin, theologically, intellectually. But yet still, we find ourselves sinning, don't we? And it's extremely frustrating. We find ourselves setting out with good intentions, saying, I'm not going to do these things. And before long, we fail and, and we're discouraged. And we get to that exact same point as the Apostle Paul. And we cry out, who will deliver me from the body of sin and death? And as we go through these 17 verses, we're going to break it out into three ways, if you're taking notes tonight. In verse 1, we're going to look at that there's no condemnation. And then in verses 2 through 4, it's absolute liberation. And then from verses 5 through 17 is its new creation. No condemnation, absolute liberation, and then new creation. As you'll notice, as we go through these verses, there's one word that's used over and over again. It's the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the power of God to liberate us from sin. There's no way to have victory over sin in and of ourselves. 
Christianity is not behavior modification. It's not us looking at ourselves and self-help. Okay, I'm gonna help myself over this anger problem. I'm gonna help myself over this battle with lust. I am going to be a more loving person in 2015. It's not behavior modification. It's the gospel that Jesus died for us, that he rose again, and now we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit living in and through us and us yielding to the work of the Spirit that actually results in the transformation that we so desire. So this is my prayer for us tonight is that we would experience liberation, that we would experience more freedom in our lives tonight as we lay hold of these truths that God has given to us. So verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is our first point, no condemnation. First we find there is therefore. So it's building on the whole argument of the book of Romans. Even though that there's this valley, the struggle of sin, even though we do things that we don't desire to do as believers, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So it's present tense tonight. No matter the struggles that you had this week, the struggles that you're gonna have next week, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So what is condemnation? Condemnation is God giving us the ultimate consequence for our sins, which is hell, it's damnation. It's that final sentencing that's given that only God can decide. You're not my child, you don't belong to me, you're gonna spend eternity apart from me, condemnation. There's no condemnation, why? Because of our position in Christ Jesus. Because you're in Christ Jesus. We're robed in Christ's righteousness. And so we start to think about all the different ways that condemnation affects our relationship with God. If you're walking in the attitude, if I'm walking in the attitude of, of condemnation, it's gonna be a barrier between us and the Lord, other relationships included. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. That's what Revelation 12 tells us. So he's constantly gonna be bringing up against all the things that we've done wrong to get us to try to walk in an attitude of guilt and an attitude of condemnation. Even though we read this truth of liberation, the death camp is over. You don't have to live in the death camp anymore. You're not in the gas chambers. Jesus has died for you, he's risen again. The power of sin has been buried and now there's newness of life. A lot of times we still walk around with this feeling of condemnation, this label of condemnation. There's a children's book by Max Lucado. It's one of my favorite books. I don't, sometimes children's books that just can get powerful truths across. And he begins to write about this, this man who makes toys. And he's this master maker of, of toys and then he would put these labels upon the toys that he would make. But they would be different than the labels that everybody else had, all of the other toys in the community. So this particular toy over time started feeling bad about the label that the toy maker had given to him. And then all of the other toys in the community would also have labels and they would come and stick it upon this toy. And the principle of this story as you read it, is learning to trust the labels that the toy maker puts upon us instead of the labels that we put upon ourselves or other people put on us as well. So that's the journey of the toy. He comes to understand and trust what the 
toy maker has said about him. And ultimately, we've got to trust what God says about us. To trust that he says, you're not condemned. You don't have to walk around with this label of condemnation on your head. You can walk around understanding that you're forgiven. You can wear the label of forgiveness proudly, your position that's in Christ Jesus. Jesus took the condemnation that we deserved upon the cross. He took the wrath of the Father so that we could then in his justice and in his mercy be able to walk in forgiveness. So think about the layers of condemnation for just a minute. One is there's relational condemnation. Sometimes we live in this sense that God must be mad at us. God must be disappointed. Well, maybe God forgives, but he's giving me this look of condensation or condemnation and condensation when it rains. And so we walk around with that on our shoulder and it's relational condemnation. And that can be pretty heavy. Sometimes that can be some of the most damaging aspects of condemnation that we can carry with us. Of course, there's the legal aspect of condemnation. Some of you, even though you're in Christ, may walk around thinking that God's gonna send you to hell. Why is that? Why, why do you walk around thinking that maybe you're in jeopardy of going to hell? Do you believe that Christ is your savior? Do you declare him as Lord? Do you believe that you're in Christ Jesus? Then why do you hold on to that legal condemnation? Sometimes there's functional condemnation. What do I mean by that? We think we're a house that's been condemned. You, know, you go into a house and maybe the building inspector, code enforcement says, sorry, this, this house is in, inhabitable. Nobody can live here. And put the condemned label upon it. And that's what we look at our own lives. We go, I'm functionally condemned. I know that God forgives me, but I'm not good for anything. I don't can contribute to anything. We know our hearts. Are you there tonight? Do you have a tendency to go there often? Or do you find yourself rejoicing in the truth of this verse? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this may surprise you, but you look up the word no in the Greek and it means no. <laughs> It means no thing. There, there's absolutely no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And this is in the midst of Paul having his struggle. This is in the midst of Paul admitting that he does things that he doesn't want to do. And he comes to focus upon Christ again. Focus on the forgiveness. Focus on the position that's in Christ. And he says, I'm not condemned. I know what the enemy says. I know what other people say. I know what I say about myself. I'm my own worst critic but I'm looking at who Christ is and my position in Christ Jesus. I'm forgiven. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The rest of verse one gives us the emphasis of the next few verses, those who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. When we talk about this concept of walking, it's a lifestyle. It's what dominates your life. What, what influences your life? Is it the flesh? And that can be a kind of a, confusing term to understand. Maybe you hang around Christians and they're like, hey bro, you're really in the flesh. And you're like, I'm obviously in the flesh. Like what else would I be in? I don't understand what you're saying. It's a term to describe that our sinful nature is getting the best of us. That that's what's dominating us. Where we're living a life that's controlled by that desire for sin. And so the encouragement then is to walk according to the spirit, to allow the spirit to reign in our lives to yield to the Spirit and be in step with the Spirit of God. In verse two, 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This is absolute liberation. It's our second point. So the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. If you remember back to chapter seven, part of what was tripping up the apostle Paul was that he was approaching God through the law. These are all the things that I need to do in order to please God. His own works, his own performance, and he found that to be his own concentration camp. He found that to be his own death camp. If you have a performance-based relationship with God, it's always gonna lead to failure or pride. It's a terrible place to be. Oh, I missed my devotions today, God doesn't love me. I, I missed my devotions today, God's forsaken me. I did my devotions for 365 days, a whole entire year. I read through the Bible this year. <sighs> you know, can lead to really dangerous things on, on both ways. And so it's replacing this. I, I'm free from this. I'm absolutely liberated. And now what's ruling my life? It's the law of the spirit in Christ Jesus. God prophesied this day in Ezekiel 25. He says, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You notice the difference? It goes from external to internal. It goes from God's spirit being inside of us, giving us the power and giving us the motivation. Laws can never do that. So it's not a question of holiness. God's desiring holiness in our lives, but it's how we get there. Rules and regulations are God's spirit getting a hold of our lives to where now he's writing his will and his law upon our heart. This is a beautiful thing. We start listening to God's spirit and God's spirit saying, you know what? Why don't you take some time out of your day to draw near to me? Why don't you spend some time with me in the word? Why don't you worship me? Why don't you take some time to go talk to that coworker? You, you see this person over there. And all of a sudden, all this stuff is starting to get on your heart and your, where's this coming from? And you start to feel some conviction of the Holy Spirit. Man, I don't know if I should be looking at this. Every time I look at this, I just feel terrible. And where does this feeling come from? I don't know if I should be listening to this. I, I felt fine about listening to this forever, but now all of a sudden, I listen to this and, and, and what's, what's happening? I, I, oh, I'm angry and I feel terrible about being angry. I used to feel really good about being angry. I, I used to feel empowered about being angry. Well, what happened? It's the Spirit of God. And you've maybe heard me say this before, but I believe the Spirit of God can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. You know, when God's Spirit gets a hold of our hearts, when God's Spirit says, it's time to do this, or it's time not to do this. Now, do we follow the Spirit perfectly 100% of the time? No, I don't. You know, I had a moment last week, it was Tuesday night, I, I felt the Spirit of God saying, Eric, shut your mouth, shut your mouth, don't do it. And I thought about it, and I opened my mouth, <laughs> and I opened it loud, and I got going, and then I had to apologize, because I had said some things that I shouldn't have said, that, that I regretted saying. Now, the Spirit was there, but it was a moment where I didn't give yield to the spirit and walk in obedience to to the spirit but that's the key to victory it's, it's realizing that it's a power that's outside of ourselves it's not by power or by might but by my spirit and having a soft heart to the spirit and following the law of the spirit and the law of the spirit 
is life in Christ Jesus. It brings to liberation. It brings to change that only God can produce in our lives. In verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So first we see a weakness in the law. Sometimes our Saturday and Sunday study lines up perfectly with our Wednesday study. And this is one of those times. Because we found in the book of Hebrews an emphasis of the weakness or unprofitability of the law. And we find it here in Romans chapter 8. The law was weak. It could not produce a righteous life. It couldn't produce a, a transformed life. So God had to send his son. If the law was so perfect, if the law could produce righteousness, why would God have to send his son? And then what did sending his son accomplish? He, he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So Jesus came in human flesh. He wasn't sinful. And why did he come? On the account of my sin. So he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus took the condemnation for my sin. Sin does deserve condemnation. Sin does deserve punishment, but Jesus took that for me. And notice, it's by the plan of the Father. That's how much we're loved by the Father, that he would send his son in human flesh to, to die for our sin so that we could stand in this position of not being condemned before the Lord. When I'm walking in condemnation, it's not intentional, but I'm undermining the finished work of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Because what I'm saying to God in my attitude is your actions are not enough. The sending of your son is not enough. But when I can believe and receive and rejoice in the finished work of Christ, when I can walk in forgiveness instead of condemnation, then God's glorified and my heart's transformed. Verse four, this is still speaking of the work of Christ on the cross, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. So ultimately, what does the law teach? It teaches a holy life of loving God and loving your neighbor. And that's fulfilled as the Spirit of God takes hold of our lives and we begin to walk according to the Spirit. When we're not walking according to the flesh, but we're walking according to the Spirit. This transformation took place in Peter. When you read through Peter's life in the Gospels, he's always blowing it. He's always saying things that he shouldn't say. He even tries to correct Jesus. Remember that? He says, no, no, this, this, isn't, this isn't a good idea. No, Peter had the bad idea. You don't try to rebuke the Lord. You don't try to, you know, correct the Lord. To the point where the Father speaks audibly from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Pay attention to this guy. He's my, he's my loved son. Peter boasting that he would die with the Lord, but then denies the Lord, only moments later, he's broken. Christ restores him. The book of Acts begins. He's praying with the rest of the believers and he receives the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a transformation that happens in Peter's life. Is Peter perfect after that? No. He still had a problem with this Jew-Gentile thing and he'd hang out with Gentiles he was a Jew, then Jews would show up and he'd walk away from the Gentiles. Don't tell anybody I was having a bacon cheeseburger with you fellas. And Paul had to rebuke him. 
Paul had to write him and say, hey, you're not behaving in, in the way that, that you should. So he wasn't perfect, but there was a change that, that would happen in his life. We can only go so far in our Christian life apart from the Spirit of God. We'll get to a certain point where we can clean ourselves up, where we can make our act a, a little bit better. We can get control of our anger a, a little bit more. We can make ourselves a little bit more Christ-like, a little bit more, more loving. But it can got, not go near as far as when we're broken and we empty ourselves and are open to the filling of the Holy Spirit and then walking in obedience to the Spirit. Holy Spirit, what's on your heart today? What do you need me to do? How do you need me to treat the people that are around me? Whether it be our families, our friends, whoever surrounds us from a moment-to-moment basis. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. Not too long ago, we studied the book of Acts. Supernatural. It's not a, a testimony of people getting together and trying harder. It's a group of people that did what verse 4 says, according to the Spirit. But I find this to be almost the most mystical or the most hard to understand, or maybe I'm just thick-headed and always try to do it in my own strength, because a life in the Spirit is so, so very important, but it's so easy to miss, isn't it? It's so easy to not pay attention to the Spirit. It, it's so, so easy to just think, oh, I, I, I've got this. I'll just try harder. I'll just, I'll just do better. And when I come back to that place of brokenness of going, God, I need your Spirit. I need to walk according to your Spirit and yield to the Spirit. Let's try it. As we go into a new week, we're in the middle of this week, and we're looking into next week, and we're beginning February, say, no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, God, would you help me to understand what it means to walk according to your Spirit? I want to be open to that. I'm dependent upon you. I want to be obedient to the leading and the working of, of the Holy Spirit. It's what brings to liberation in our lives walking in the spirit. The third thing that we're gonna spend the rest of our time on tonight is the new identification. So first, no condemnation. You're not condemned, you're forgiven. Don't wear that condemned label. Then we see absolute liberation that comes through walking in the spirit. And then a new identification, and it's gonna break down into three ways. We're gonna look at a new mind, a new master, and a new identification. So verse five, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So now we start to get some practicals. I think that Paul starts to to give us some more details of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. And he's saying in this new creation that you are, this, this new existence that you have in Christ Jesus, the important thing is what you set your mind on. Because mind is your thoughts, And your thoughts become actions, and your actions become your character, and then your character results in your consequences, good or bad. So thoughts are really important. You know, we go, oh, they're just thoughts, they don't matter. I'm not hurting anybody. I can can think this thought of bitterness, this thought of lust, this thought of covetousness, it's okay. And it's not, it's really important. And here we see we're to set our minds, not on the things of the flesh, but the things of the spirit. Because with your thoughts, you're fueling your actions. So let's turn over to Galatians 5 because we get a good list of what the things of the spirit are and what are the things of the flesh. So turn with me a little bit to your right. Galatians 5, let's look at 
verse 16, and we'll read down to verse 26. Verse 5, going from verse 16 down to verse 26. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So there's this war that's going on inside of us between the flesh, our sinful nature, and the Spirit. For if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. For the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresy. Man, it sounds like everything that's on TV. (laughs) Envy, murderers, drunkenness, revilers, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So does that mean if you struggle with these things, that if you walk in these things from different times that you're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God. No, this is talking about a lifestyle, not a struggle. This is talking about I'm in adultery and I feel good about it and I defend it and I'm gonna put Christ with it. Then this verse is a warning and saying, you, you may not be with Christ. You, you may not really be born again and, and be the child of God. But this list gives us an idea that are things of the flesh. This is what we battle against. So, so our mind's saying, you know what? Think on these things. And media and the world are constantly propagating these same, same things. But now here's the things of the Spirit. Goes on and tells you, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So here's the battle. If we're talking about liberation from sin, is we've got to do battle with our thoughts and our mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going throughout our day, and all of a sudden, we start running somebody under the bus in our mind. Not giving them the benefit of the doubt, not thinking the best of them. They're another brother or sister in Christ. You know, there's somebody in our very own family. And we go, wait a second, I'm going the complete wrong direction in my thoughts. I need to think thoughts of gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, thinking of their good traits, beginning to pray for them. You see how that begins to change? And say, I'm taking my thoughts captive to the, the obedience of Christ. What we fuel becomes our actions. Our actions become our character. Our character then results in consequences. So how are some things that maybe we could do to to change this up a little bit? What are we listening to in the car? What are we fueling our thoughts in the car? You you look at talk radio. That's that's fun. There's nothing necessarily ungodly with talk, talk radio. I would say listen to it from time to time. But if you have a job where you're in the car for eight to 10 hours a day and it's Rush Limbaugh for 10 hours a day, you know, there's some content there that may need to be considered, but you're going to find yourself pretty darn agitated by the end of the day, aren't you? <laughs> and there may be some things that you may want to retool and say, you know what, how can I get some things of the spirit 
mixed in with talk radio so I can at least decipher it a little bit better. We're saying maybe that's the right thing that's being said, but it's saying the wrong way and it doesn't really have the heart of, of Jesus Christ. There's so many different things that we allow into our thoughts and I'm challenged by this. There's, there's certain moments of the day that we can take advantage of. And you know what our flesh loves? Our flesh loves stuff that's not gonna challenge us. So I've got a little bit of time left at the end of the day. I can surf the news. And again, I think surfing the news is great. But what if I didn't veg out the last 15, 20 minutes of the day and I fed my spirit and I focused on the things of Christ? And I, and I read, it, read a chapter in the word. But my flesh always finds it so easy to just say, well, I'll get online and read the news and check out what's going on in the news. I'm never encouraged after reading the news. And I do think, you know, a balanced perspective, you've heard me share before, you need to know current events and what's happening with a biblical perspective. But I'm saying we need to be good stewards of our minds. I, I think that this is where we're going to start to see victory. If we really want to see victory and we really want to see change in these areas that we struggle with sin, we say, you know, I've got to start thinking differently. And if I'm going to start thinking differently, I've got to have some different imports that are coming in. If I just take in all of the garbage of the world all day long, every, all, and I'm putting it on the TV, I'm putting it on the radio, I'm putting it on my iPod, what am I going to expect when something bumps me? Well, whatever I put in the cup all day long, that's what's going to come out. But if I'm putting in the things of the Spirit, if I'm thinking about the Spirit, I'm putting some podcasts on my iPod and saying, man, I want to I listen to the Word. I'm putting some worship. I'm going to listen to the Word. I'm putting my mind on those things. I'm going to memorize some verses. And I'm challenged right there with you. And then what happens? I get bumped. And I'm like, wow, some love came out. Some Holy Spirit came out. What happened? I was setting my mind on the things of the Spirit. That's what you're doing tonight. That's what we're doing tonight. You took time out of a Wednesday night to come and listen to the word of God and put your mind of the spirit. We've got a new mind. And that's part of our, our new creation that God has given to us. Verse five tells us that we have control of where we set our minds. If your mind is in a downward spiral of some sinful direction, whether it's bitterness or, or covetousness or anger, and the enemy's just got us because we're putting our mind on the things of the flesh. We say, okay, Lord, help me to put my mind on the things of Christ. Why? Because of verse six. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So carnally means fleshly. When our mind is given over to the desires of our sinful flesh, it's death. We all know that. We could all write our own autobiography with that. But when we're spiritually minded, it's life and peace. The battle's won and lost with, with our minds. We go on to verse seven, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Enmity is hostility or at war with. So when my mind is set on the flesh, when I put my mind in that, that sinful for direction, I put myself in a place where I'm in hostility with God. I'm not in that place of peace with the Lord. It doesn't line up with his heart and his, his commands. In verse eight, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now we do, we believe this. Again, the flesh, we just read all of the things that are in the flesh in Galatians 5. Do we trust and believe 
that those things do not please the Lord, that God cannot work in the midst of those things, that we cannot please God. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we're angry, he can't do his work. And it's coming to trust that and believe that. Go, Lord, I'm not pleasing you when I'm in that sinful flesh. So it brings us from a new mind to a new master in verse nine. For you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. So here's the encouragement. is yield to the spirit. Allow the spirit to take control of our lives. The spirit that dwells in you. Did you know the moment that you received Christ as your savior, you became the temple of the Holy Spirit. You became the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This isn't something that you have to conjure up. This this isn't something you have to try to do backflips for. Say, well, I've got to get my, my act together and then the Spirit of God will dwell in me. The Spirit of God already dwells in you. It's us yielding to the Spirit of God that God has given to us. In verse 10, now if, or continuing in verse 9, now if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of God, he's not his. So if you haven't given your heart and life to Christ, you don't have God's Spirit and you're not his. In verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So you now have two things going for you in this liberation from sin. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of God lives inside of you, inside of me, desiring to take control. And then Christ lives in you. And if Christ lives in you, then you're dead to sin. You're not gonna find life inside of sin. And this should be an encouragement as the child of God is when we sin, we feel terrible about it, don't we? We feel convicted about it. We go, there's no life here. And we get a little bit confused and we go, before I knew Christ as my savior, this was so fun. We maybe remember it inaccurately, but there was some pleasure. At least we could get some pleasure in the sin, even if it was for a season. And that season would come to a quick ending. But now that we're in Christ, we go, there's no pleasure here. I don't feel good about what I just did. I feel terrible. Why? Because Christ is in us and because he's in us and the spirit of God is in us, we're dead to sin. That's God's grace. That's evidence that you are the child of God and that good conviction that God brings into our lives. Though it's not a fun place to be, aren't you thankful for it? Aren't you thankful that there's, there's no more life in, the, in that place of, of sin? We go on to verse 11. This is such an encouraging verse. Lay a hold of it. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your moral bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Did you check that out? Did you read that? The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. Christ was dead for three days. The decay process was beginning to happen and the spirit of God raised him from the dead in in just one moment. That same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, it lives in us. That means that there's power over any sin that we struggle with. And sometimes with defeat after defeat after defeat we go, there's no possibility for victory. I'm stuck with this for the rest of my life. I'm gonna live in Romans 7 till I go home to be with the Lord. And God's saying, no, I've given you the power through the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. Don't try it on your own. If you do it in your own strength, we're gonna fail every time. But allow God's Spirit to do that work. Our responsibility is to simply say yes to the Spirit and to walk in obedience to the Spirit. 
God's, God's Spirit's saying, don't go there. You know what happens when you go there? You're, you're gonna give in. Here's the way of escape. Okay, Lord, I hear you. I'm going in this direction. It's not just in steering away from the negative, but also walking in the positive, walking in the good things that God has for us. What an amazing demonstration of God's power. The Spirit is completely able to give life to our mortal flesh. Do you feel like that there's an area of your relationship with the Lord and this battle with sin that's just completely dead? You go, you know what? I've tried and tried and tried to love my spouse in a more godly way and every time I just fail. There's nothing but death in this area. God's a God of the resurrection. The Spirit of God can bring life to where there's a stony heart and begin to transform the way that we treat our spouse. You know, you know my, my kids just fried me beyond fried. I'm, I'm doubly fried. All there is is death in my attitude towards, towards my child. The Spirit of God can revive your heart to give you a supernatural type of love that can only come through the throne room of God. Do you have that coworker? You know what I'm saying? That one? That's just like fingernail on the chalkboard? Like, I know God's telling me to love them, and there's even a verse in there about loving your enemies, and, but I just don't want to. They're miserable. Maybe it's even gone to the point where you're part of those conversations at the water cooler, at the coffee maker, at the break at lunch, and you just, you've gone there. It's complete death. And you can't imagine that God would turn it around. How about verse 11 that we just read? The same power that rose Christ from the dead. He can bring life where there's death. There's never a hopeless situation. There's never to a point where God can't bring deliverance in our lives. But I think you've probably experienced this and, and I've experienced some in my life that there comes deliverance and victory when I get to a place of brokenness where I can't do it on my own. Where I try to love that difficult person on my own and I only get so far and I fail. I go, God, I can't do this. I need you to help me. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to work on this through the power of your Holy Spirit because I can't do it in, in and of myself. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So we're no longer in this legalistic law relationship based with God. But verse 13, for if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if you're doing this according to the law, according to your own efforts, according to the flesh, you will die. Can we say an amen to that? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. So sometimes when we talk about not being under the law and not having a legalistic relationship with God, people think that God's not desiring holiness in our lives. God is desiring holiness in our lives because it's wholeness. And it's the absolute best for us. Every mom I've ever met has always wanted good things for their child. Want their kids to eat good food and get sleep. And you know, when the cold comes, all the medicine comes out of the cabinets. You moms have amazing medicine cabinets for your kids. You want wholeness for your kids. And us dads are like, oh, they'll get over it. They'll be fine, you know. How much more so does God, he wants what's best in our lives. He wants holiness 
but it happens through the Spirit. And as the Spirit of God is active in our lives, the Spirit's gonna say this, put it to death. There comes that point where the Spirit's going, you know what, do business with this. You don't have to live here anymore. You don't have to be bitter anymore. You don't have to be covetous. You can be content. You don't have to live in lust. You don't have to live in anger and go for it. Put it to death. Don't make excuses for it. Don't justify it. Take the cross of Jesus Christ and apply it to that particular sin and struggle and you will live. And this is where we get from the new mind and the new master. The new master is the spirit. And we come into, I think, which is the most important part of the text, and it's the new identification, and it's the fact that we're sons and daughters of God. In verse 14, it says, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So the fact that the Spirit is leading us, even though sometimes we don't follow, is evidence that we're God's children, because God's Spirit doesn't lead unbelievers in this, in this same way. In verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The law is condemnation, is fear, it's bondage, because I'm never good enough. And I'm waiting the consequences. I'm waiting the discipline. That's not what we have, but we've received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. It's our new identification. Each of us have been adopted by God. God was proactive in us coming to know him. He sought us out. He brought us to that place of, of needing him. He chose us. We're chosen by God. That's what's amazing about adoption. If you're, if you're adopted, man, you're doubly loved because your parents chose you. When I was born, my parents didn't choose me. It's like, well, we got a boy. All right, Let, let's, let's see what we should, we should name him. My parents were gonna name me John because my older brother's Matthew. And so, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, cover the, the gospels here. And then my mom thought, well, dear John letters. I don't want him to go through, you know, having a dear John letter. I got a dear John letter even though my name was Eric, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so somehow I, I ended up being, being Eric. But our family is my brother and I, and I have a little sister, and my, my little sister's 10 years younger, and she's adopted. She's chosen. And my parents went through a lot, a lot of work to adopt my little sister. A lot more work than conceiving my brother and I, I can tell you that right there. <laughs> the process was a four-year process with the state of Oregon to get to the place where they could be qualified in Oregon's eyes to adopt, and then all of the legal process to have my little sister come into to the home. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And to think that God would know everything about us with all of our struggles and all the struggles that we're gonna continue to have, and he says, I want you. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. And not just be on my team, not just be a worker, but son, daughter, you're chosen. You have the spirit of adoption to where you cry out, Abba, Father. You cry out, Daddy. So it's the spirit of God that, that's leading us and guiding us to overcome sin, but then it's the spirit of God that's leading us into this deeper relationship with God where we understand him as Father. And do you relate with God in this way? Think about your prayers for just a moment. A lot of times our prayers begin, Lord, God, 
and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. When Jesus taught us to pray, how did he teach us? Our Father. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And as you study the Old Testament, they did not approach God with Father. It was Lord. That's how they approached God, with fear and reverence, which we need in our life as, as well. But Jesus, because of his sacrifice, brought us into a relationship where we can cry out, Dad. Where we can cry out, Abba, Father. And this is a term of very close relationship. Daddy, you know? Abba, Father. And this can be a difficult thing for us because of our own human relationship with our Father. And you may tend to see your heavenly father through the lens of your human father, but your heavenly father is not your human father. I have a wonderful earthly father, and it still was difficult for me to talk to God in this kind of intimacy. It's easy for me to see God in the Lord sense. You're Lord, you're God, you're awesome, you're powerful. But then to say, Dad, Daddy, to, to climb up into his lap and to pour out my heart to him. That's been a process that I'm, that I'm still growing in. But that's what God desires. That's what, that's what he longs for. You know, this, this wrestling with sin is more than us just having a good life. You know, we're not just wrestling with sin so life can be more productive for us. It goes back to this relationship with our father of receiving his help but desiring to be close to him it's the new identification that we have because he's adopted us. In verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So the Lord's identifying with your spirit, saying, you belong to me, you're my son, you're my daughter. Have you ever had those moments when the gospel's being shared at the end of a service and you just feel the Holy Spirit in your heart, warming your heart, going, man, you're the child of God. You, you, you belong to me. There's times when you're in worship and man, you just, you feel the spirit. You're reading the word and you feel God's spirit. It's not all the time, but there's, that's confirmation that you, you belong to the Lord. And it's also true in the other sense. When we feel the Holy Spirit convicting the snot out of us, that's evidence that we're the child of God. Going, God, thank you. You're, you're convicting me here. I understand that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It testifies with our spirit that we're the child of God of God. Verse 17, this is such an amazing promise. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. If sonship and daughtership wasn't enough, we also get to be heirs and joint heirs with Christ, equal heirs with Christ. Because being an heir comes along with being a son or a daughter. The only way you lose your inheritance as a son or a daughter if there's something broken in the relationship. But if the relationship's right, guess what? You're an heir because you're the son. You're the daughter. And our relationship's right with God because we're in Christ. We're not condemned. And so we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're gonna rule and reign with Christ. And then there's this last part of this verse that lets us know what this earthly life is gonna mean. This earthly life is gonna mean suffering. Jesus suffered in this life for what reason? To win people's hearts unto salvation. So God at times, in his overall economy, will say, Eric, 
you're going to suffer because I'm more concerned with people's salvation than your comfort. No, God, I don't like that. No, 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 no. I want to see people get saved and be comfortable at the same time. Can't we do that? No, no, no. There's some suffering that's going to happen because we'll be glorified together. We, We set our eyes on eternity. We go, the suffering's worth it now because we're going to be joint heirs with Christ. So let's try to lay our minds around this as we close. There's truths to lay hold of. What label am I wearing? Be honest. What label are you wearing tonight that you put on yourself or others put upon you? And do you wear the label that God has put on you of forgiven? Or are you living in the label of condemned? Am I living according to the Spirit? Is that even on my radar? Is that even something I'm open to, to surrendering the control of my life to to the Spirit? Does that mean I'm just going to be some weirdo? No. What's going to happen? It's going to be a life filled with love. Then what am I setting my mind upon? How about today as you went through your day? What kind of things was your mind fixed upon? And then am I living in bondage or sonship? Am I living in the spirit of bondage or am I living in the spirit of sonship? As we've had this time in the word, now let's draw near to Christ. Last week in our night of worship, we talked about as we worship in truth and to worship in spirit and allow ourselves to rejoice in the Lord in song and pouring our heart in coming and taking communion. A time to really digest and to think of his sacrifice and to walk out tonight knowing that we're forgiven. And God's spirit has been knocking upon the doors of some for you to receive Christ for the first time. Inside you're going, you know what? I've never surrendered to Jesus. I've tried to clean myself up. I've done religion. I've done rules. I've done rebellion. I've done it all. But I haven't come to that place of surrendering to Jesus, of asking him to save me. If that's you tonight, as we come to take communion, we're gonna be available here on the sides where you can come and ask someone to pray with you, but also right where you're at. If you wanna cry out to the Lord, Jesus, I believe you, that you died for me and rose again. Be the Lord of my life. He'll save you. And then tell somebody. Call somebody up that knows Christ tonight. Stop somebody in the foyer. I receive Christ as my savior. Can you help me in this new relationship with the Lord? Also, if you need prayer tonight, man, we'd love to pray with you. One of the things the scripture tells us is to confess our sin one to another, that we can pray for one another, that God would bring healing. That stinks, I'll just tell you right there. That's just no fun right there. Who likes going to another believer saying, you know what, I'll save you all the details, but here's, here's where I'm struggling. Would you pray for it with me? And it doesn't have to be with the prayer team up front. It can be. You can turn to somebody else sitting around you. Everybody in here would be happy to pray with you. And guess what? Everybody can relate. And that's one of the good things about opening up. Have you ever opened up with someone and they've gone, how could you? I can't believe that. Get away from me. I'm not going to pray for you. If that's that reaction, run from that person, you know. Because if they're walking with the Lord, they're going to go, I understand. I'd be happy to pray for you. So let's stand together and let's allow the Lord to have this time. Jesus, would you take these truths that we've read and really work them into our lives? We thank you that we're not condemned because we're in Christ. God, we give too much of our time and energy to the flesh and help us know what it means to walk according to the Spirit. We rejoice that we're your sons and your daughters. Abba, Father, Daddy, we love you. Would you bless this time of communion?
Would you bless this time of worship in Jesus' name? Amen.